No Simple Road is stoked to have Sunset Lake CBD back with us as our sponsor. Sunset Lake is the real deal. If you've looked around trying to find CBD and it just didn't do what it was supposed to do, this is the place you need to go. They've got every kind of product you can imagine, including CBD tinctures with sleep gummies that are great for getting to bed, CBD gummy bears and reishi infused chews that can help bring you a little bit of calm in a stressful day. They've got salve. They've got smokable hemp flower that's great for folks like me that don't want to get stoned and paranoid, but want to have the benefits of cannabis. Well, now you got it. And they even carry CBD products for your pets, man. I'm saying this is Darwin approved stuff. Go over to sunsetlakecbd.com and check out the full range of what they have. This is Vermont grown right to your door and they're giving you 20% off. So put in the promo code NSR20 when you're checking out. You're going to get 20% off your whole order. And I know you're going to love it. They even have subscription options open for you. So you don't forget to get your medicine. Go check out Sunset Lake CBD, everybody. Hey, everyone. Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters here to let you know that my podcast Inside the Musician's Brain is back on the airwaves for season four, which means it's time once again to get deep with influential musicians from all across the musical landscape to really understand and translate the lessons of success, failure, inspiration and hard work that are behind the music and the artists that we love. My guests this season include Rachel Price from Lake Street Dives, Sam Bush, Chris Wood, Chris Funk from The Decemberists, Lindsay Liu, MC Taylor from His Golden Messenger, and more. Check us out, and thanks for listening. We're so excited to tell you a bit about today's sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They are a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Music Masters Collective events give you the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Otil Burbridge, Steve Earle, Richard Thompson, former members of the band, the Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, the Fab Foe, and Sean Colvin, and so many more. At an event like the Milk Carton Kids Sad Song Summer Camp, happening this July, you can expect immersive classes, evenings of entertainment, excellent food, and a space for a lucky group of folks to learn, co-write, workshop, and perform with like-minded peers, all with the guidance of Kenneth Pattengale, Joey Ryan, and some of their favorite songwriters. This all-inclusive week in the Catskill Mountains of upstate New York is guaranteed to be magical. Scholarships are available and spots are extremely limited. So visit www.sadsongsummercamp.com forward slash simple to learn more. That's www.sadsongsummercamp.com forward slash simple. Check it out. This episode of No Simple Road is brought to you by Shop Tour Bus. We just blew everybody's ears out. Cool. Yeah, we welcome. did it though. We nailed it that yeah. time. Woo-woo. We did nail it. Uh-huh. Head over to shoptourbus.com or at shoptourbus on Instagram. There's a bug flying right in my peripheral vision. He wants to hear about Shop Tour Bus. He does. So listen, bug. If you go to shoptourbus.com or at shoptourbus on Instagram, you will find amazing Grateful Dead inspired artwork t-shirts that come in 
the coolest hand painted, painted, no, drawn, dye. drawn, dyed. painted. I'd say a combination. All the box. Oh, the box. Oh, they don't dye boxes, it's, writer. I don't know. I thought we talking man. about t-shirts. Keep up. Good. I'm trying. Anyway. Yeah. Painted, drawn. Hand drawn. Sometimes there's one of a kind stuff glued on there. I've never Arts seen anything they glued, glued anywhere. They did. They glued one on yeah. our boxes. Yeah. It was the Aretha Flink. Franklin. I'll get it right you one got time. It. It I'll was get close. it right. <laughs> anyway, it comes in this amazing one-of-a-kind box. It's tied with a special piece of twine from the craft store down the street from their studio. It has a bootleg, which I don't know how this works in Grateful Deadland, but whatever bootleg you get, the songs on that bootleg will be exactly what you need to hear right when it gets to you. Don't know how that works. The combined magic works. of Grateful Dead and no uh, shop tour bus. Well, it's like <laughs> Erica from Thriving in Tide. I said it's acid magic. Acid magic. Yep. Acid magic. So you'll get that bootleg. You'll get other goodies, accoutrements, and accessories that will Lots be named later. Candy, maybe other fun things. What did you get? You got. She got a cool notepad and a mm. pen that looks like chapstick. I did. Uh, Sorry, guys. For the no, it, it wasn't chapstick. Oh. It was like a a pen that was actually like a paint. A paint yeah, a paint, a little oh, like yeah. a tube of paint. And I got a little yellow man, and I got fire on the mountain T-shirt, and I got all these cute things. I mean, I can't remember every single one of them. My favorite thing was the little miniature bat that I got. That was the cool. Bat. I love that. Disappeared for a little bit. <laughs> it did. But so the holidays, my... holidays are here. Yeah. It's yeah. time to start buying gifts for people, mm-hmm. and it's going to be my birthday soon. Oh, so shit. if you don't know what to get somebody, you can get them. <laughs> wow, a, that was that, I like the way you worked that in there. You can get okay. them a gift card on there. They have gift, <laughs> gift certificates, and you know, it's it's a cool thing. You're supporting the No Simple Road family. They are our amazing sponsor. Yep. Yep. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Luke and the roadies taking care of the family. Yeah, they are. Head over to shoptourbus.com or at shoptourbus on Instagram. And ladies and gentlemen, you will get more than you bargained for. Apple. Yes. What, What do you want for Christmas? I'm not sure. I know what I want for Christmas. I didn't ask you. Okay, what, Ryder, what do you want for Christmas? Ice cream. <laughs> what kind of ice cream? Fish ice cream. Fish food? No, it, it's, well, it's ice cream. Yeah. I don't know how I forgot Ben that. and Jerry's is sponsoring No Simple Road this month, everybody. Thanks, Ben and Jerry's. Love you, yeah. Ben and Jerry's. Ever since the late 80s, early 90s, when I first tasted Cherry Garcia, I fell in love with you guys. Yes. And we are honored to have you as the sponsor for No Simple Road this month. Ben and Jerry's has collaborated with Fish and the Water Wheel Foundation to create a limited flavor. It's ice cream. It's the most delicious caramel malt ice cream with almond, almond toffee swirl pieces, no, pieces. pieces. And fudge the, fish, and caramel swirl. And a caramel swirl. caramel swirl. So the packaging for this little cool. It's literally cool, too. Huh. Pint of ice cream was created and designed by Jim Pollock. Also, artwork for the shirt was created by Jim. A portion of the proceeds for the ice cream and all the proceeds for the T-shirts go to the Water Wheel Foundation. 
Ice cream and t-shirts can be ordered at store.benandjerry.com. I'm sorry, I take that back. Store.benjerry.com. If you use the promo code OSIRIS, O-S-I-R-I-S, you can get free shipping on all orders over $50 for the rest of 2018. That's store.benjerry.com. If you forget what I just said, all this is going to be in the show notes with some links to some fun and interesting facts, Ben and Jerry's favorite fish moments, um, some other unrelated, well, not unrelated, but stuff about the Water Wheel Foundation and this flavor of ice cream. Also, they did a special Curveball Fish Food Water Wheel t-shirt, and they created it for the canceled Curveball Festival. And you can get that, too, over at store.benjerry.com. Uh, that's it. That's it. That's it. It's ice. Cream. Baby. Mm. It's delicious. You should go get some. Yeah, go support the Water Wheel Foundation, guys. If if you have any interest in um, your community, just look them up and see what they're all about. And then you'd want to buy your little It's Ice Cream and taste it and support your community. And what's a better way to support your community than buying ice cream? Ice cream, really? I mean, come on. Come on. on. And a t-shirt. Store.benjerry.com. Promo code Osiris. No simple rub. No simple rub. No simple rub. No simple rub. Osiris. Hey, this is Reed Mathis. This podcast is In The Loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with podcasts and live experiences about artists and topics you love. Check out OsirisPod.com and stay in the loop. Sign up for the newsletter to learn about the newest podcasts and events. Relics Magazine is a media partner of Osiris. For music news, go to Relics.com. Osiris. What'd you lose, Ryder? It's on the floor. It, it fell out of your is. pocket while I mean, we were I don't doing know the, why the other commercials. My, phone in my pocket. Pocket? Phone in your pocket. Fuck it. Fuck we'll it. do it live. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Wow, I'm hearing that weird echo. There we go. Oh. Hi. Hi. Hey, now, No Simple Road family. Welcome back to another magical, mysterious episode. Extra magical. Extra. Oh. Yes, you guys, it uh, is extra definitely magical extra magical. So there are many things in life that are strange. One of them is growing up with the dad that I grew up with. He is a singular individual yes, by far that has spread his magic into the multiverse in the form of people like <laughs> me and my brothers. And? Stories and stories and, and pictures shows. and shows, entertainment. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He is an amazing human being. Your dad is the original wizard. Yeah, he is a showman. He is a quick draw. He is a storyteller. He is a writer, a writer, producer, director. Producer, director. He is an amazing grandpa. And he has been the best surrogate dad I have had. Well, I haven't had many. He's, a, he's the only one I've ever had, but he's the best. Surrogate papa. Yep. 
And um, you guys are going to really, really enjoy this show. So you owe this episode to Melanie. This was Melanie's idea. Yeah. 100% Mel's idea. She, We were sitting out here on the porch one night and she was like, oh, by the way, we're interviewing grandpa. And I was like, what? She said, oh, yeah, this is happening. And what a great idea, babe. Way to go. Thank you. Yeah. I... um, I wanted to bring the show back at that, that when I decided to do that, I wanted to bring the show back to us again instead of the musicians that we were interviewing and the awesome photographers and fun people that we're meeting on the road. I wanted to bring it back to the house and kind of like how we originally started this. And at that time, I was really thinking about being a grandma. And I was like, you know... I am so lucky that I have had grandparents for our kids because my grandparents died when I was young. And I know Aaron's grandparents died when he was young. So um, that grandparent spirit hasn't been around in my specific, my grandparents' life. But my kids, they have so many amazing grandparents. And so I just thought, what an amazing way to... Um, pass down some awesome information from somebody that I respect wholeheartedly. And he, I called him and I told nobody about this, but I called him up and I was like, dad, I need a favor. He's like, anything. What do you need? (laughs) I need to move a body. And that was the exact words that he used. He was like, anything. What do you need? And I was like, I want you to be on the show. And he's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) and then i proceeded to tell him that i wanted him to be on the podcast and whatever all of that stuff but it was just amazing that that was my response what what do you need and like that is the kind of um dad that i grew up with um since i was 19 years old since i married aaron and i have recently turned 40 so he has been an amazing grandpa an amazing dad and just anytime he is up, everybody around him is up. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I he, learned that from him. He has a way of elevating everyone's experience one year around him if he's on that high. And I applaud that. I aspire to that. I um, respect that. And so I just thought no better way for you guys to get to understand us as a No Simple Road family than to understand who created us. And Grandpa is the perfect person for that. Yeah, it's it's a trip to... I was talking to my brother the other day and it's really weird to interview your own father. That's a weird thing to do. Yeah, I bet. And when I was thinking, after Mel told me about it, I was kind of like thrown off center by it. I'm like, oh shit, I have to do this with my dad, this thing that we do. But it was really cool in hindsight. It, I learned some stuff about him I didn't know. Yeah, and that was really cool. Did. And he's fucking funny, man. He, right out the gate, yeah, you guys, he, the, the he very drops first the thing. Mic. <laughs> the very first thing that um, Grandpa says, right off the gate, you guys are just going to have a jaw drop. So I'm not going to say what it is. Yeah. You'll hear it when we're done with all the, our intro. But just know that... We could have literally stopped the interview at that point. <laughs> and bananas are special. <laughs> bananas are special. <clears throat> yes. So, anyhow, follow us on Instagram at No Simple Road. You can also follow us on Facebook, but it's the same thing that's on Instagram. So just go to Instagram because, you know, that's where all the information about the show comes out. You can follow the family there. 
If you go to nosimpleroad.com, that is where you can find all the past episodes are up there, as well as on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all that. But you're not just going to get past episodes and the newest episodes on nosimpleroad.com. You get the family tab where the 20 most recent Instagram posts go up and you guys can see each other and spread information that way. You can also sign up for the newsletter there. And if you click on the merch tab, you can get those awesome, wicked awesome design, skull logo pins, stickers. I think there's two shirts left. And we're going to get a new run of shirts done soon for you guys because you guys are asking. And, uh, and for us. And for us because <laughs> we always need more clothing, especially yep. in the wintertime. We should do a long sleeve. We should. Yeah. What do you think, Mel? Should we do a long sleeve? A soft long yeah. sleeve. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. If you go over to patreon.com forward slash no simple road, that is where you can financially support the No Simple Road family. There is different tiers on Patreon. You can give as little as a buck. Cute all the way dollars. Up, cute dollars. You will become a Chan donator at that point. And there's nothing like being a Chan donator. Yeah, I like you get a one of a kind Chan donators love fresh vegetable stickers you get other fun stuff on the different tiers and also the patreon is now attached to our reddit our subreddit r forward slash no simple road on reddit and if you are a chan donator you get special flair on reddit that's cool that is cool that's cute i think i think that's happening Uh i set it up the other day but i'm unsure so somebody go check it out and <laughs> let me know how it's working tell us if we're lying right? <laughs> well yeah i'm not lying it shows that it's a benefit but like i don't know how it works or whatever right. so just go over there and check All it right. out guys yeah, it's cool patreon.com forward slash no simple road that's how you can support the family is the point of this diatribe yep. and you know it's how we pay for the hosting it's we how we get new shirts made it's all the stuff And it's you becoming involved with creating this community that we're making here. It's you becoming a part of it. Not that you're not a part of it. If you're not financially supporting us, you are just as much a part of it as everybody else is. But you are then becoming a financial supporter of the community that we all love, know, and live in. And if you just want to become a part of it, Reddit r slash no simple road. Yep. That's where everybody's hanging out, talking, doing their thing. Corey's doing an awesome job. Thanks, moderating Corey. over there and Justin and everybody's helping out pitching in if we were a boat everybody would be rowing mm-hmm. yeah even me yeah yeah for pulling like the masts would we be going oh, in a circle I, though there would be a nursery too with all the dang babies yeah <laughs> babies are coming I feel like it would be a big pirate ship. I'm gonna be a grandpa yeah that's that's yeah. amazing that is amazing yes. my dad taught me everything I know about being a grandpa your dad is the best grandpa. And a dad. And a man. He's good so, at stuff. It was really cool um, to see how you responded to um, your dad while we were talking. Because I saw a couple times, like, you try to get into your, I don't know, sometimes you are an interviewer for a moment. Mm-hmm. And and I saw that with your dad for a little bit. But then it was, um, I don't know, it it's hard to do with your parents. Yeah, he, yeah. He was kind caught of, speechless, yes. speechless quite a few times, and this and it was just so like, cute. What? It was such a sweet thing because both you and your dad are, are vivid creators, 
And it's cool to see you guys doing something together. And that's another reason why I really was excited about this. Like, be on our show, Dad, that you helped your son to learn how to do. My whole life, my dad was doing shows in Vegas, in showrooms, video, training videos for the Highway Patrol in Vegas, uh, videotaping and making shows for hotels, like all kinds of stuff. It's my whole life. Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Yeah. And it never dawned on me that I was following in my dad's footsteps until Mel said, did you ever stop to think that you're a producer and a writer and you're doing a show? And I was like, oh, shit. Well, and there were quite a few times when we were like doing stuff and you were like, I know how to do this. Like my dad did this. I know how to do this. My dad did it like several times. Well, you guys, like our setup here is so simple. Like it really is. It's just like our chairs and our existing beat up cute coffee table. And it's very raw. Table's a demon. Yeah. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is, is that even if we were all sitting here, none of us would know how to do this and how to have levels and the mic stuff. Like we, nobody knows how to do that. Nobody knows how to like normally talk with a radio voice but Aaron has always known how to do stuff like that and it's second nature it's not like weird to watch him do it it's just like oh yeah there it is you know and that one point Aaron and I were driving and I was like you are doing a show like your dad and the look of the like explosion in Aaron's head was like (laughs) Like, yeah it was weird it was a it's so obvious like in life you can be doing something for a long time and never realize the the genesis point of it, the seed. And it was really tripped out for her to point that out. And then the realization that came over me and I just like rewind to being five years old, sitting in business meetings with my dad talking about four walling rooms and, you know, on the back end and getting paid gross net profits and blah, 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 blah. And, I never dawned on me that like all that stuff stuck and I brought it forward into my life and it's all because of him. It really is. It's a hundred percent because of him. Mm -hmm. So everybody out there listening that listens to no simple road every week and looks forward to it. You have this cat to thank. Yeah. I mean, in reality. Yeah. And not to mention he gave me the freedom to grow up to be the person that I needed to be for myself. He was an amazing father, but he gave, and he gave, not but, and he gave me the freedom to grow up and become me. And there was a lot of heartache involved in that for him. Yeah, there there was, was a lot of pain and worry. I'm sure that I know that he was terrified for my safety a lot of the time. And, you want and to know what my was mind. awesome is that he was... He didn't even bring that up. He didn't even Mm -mm. care to talk about any of that. When it came up, when Aaron asked for the brief moment, that was another mic drop spot. What he says, his response to how did you put up with me and my brothers? Oh, my gosh. That is amazing. Listen for that, you guys. But like here, it's kind of like when you're a parent and you're talking about your children and like the life, like looking back on the life. You rarely bring up the hard times. It's the cool stuff. It's the going to Disneyland. It's the kindergarten graduations. It's the, you know, um, vacations that you go on. Like, very rarely 
at least in my world, do I attach myself to the harder times. And your dad, he's had tons of hard times. And he is just such a, the way that he talks about them is so elegant and graceful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he does have a lot of tact yeah. when it comes to that stuff. And he was never a disciplinarian with us. It would have been very hard for him to do that with four sons well, three of us were just complete maniacs. Yeah. Like complete fucking lunatics. And so it was next to impossible. I mean, unless, unless she locked us up. And he was never into that. So I really, in now, looking back on all of it, a lot of it sucked. And a lot of it was really hard. But now that it's over and through, like, it let me become the person that I am. And I'm really, like, grateful to my dad for allowing me to grow up and be who I needed to be because he didn't try and push too much. He just let it happen. And I've learned to do that with my son and it's paying off. Mm -hmm. It's paying off. It's really cool. Yeah. He's, he's got such a great way of just letting people be who they are. And maybe that is because of who he is. Mm -hmm. And like, he's used to like directing people without direction. You know, and that's just kind of letting people be in their own element and yet enhancing that. He's, yeah, he's, I think he's a genius. Mm -hmm. He's a, I can watch this man write a book in like a week. Like he'll be like, oh, I'm writing this thing. And then he sends it to me and it's already like five days later and it's a whole story. It's so normal to me to see that, like. You, to you, that's amazing. Yeah, and it, and it, please it don't is. don't think I'm diminishing it by any means. It's not not amazing, but I've seen him do it my whole life. So it's like, oh yeah, his dad doing his thing. Can't everybody write a book in a week? No, <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, no. all right. So you know all the details: the Patreon and Instagram and Facebook and NoSimpleRoad.com and and No Shave November. It's Movember, I think is what they call it. Mustache Vember. Yeah. How did that get in there, Mel? What? I don't know. I don't know why I thought of it, but if you don't feel like shaving, I don't fucking shave anyway. I was going to say, that's what we do around here. No shave 2018, 19, 20. It's for everybody. Girls don't have to shave their legs. Yeah, grow your mustache, girls. Yeah, that's right. Grow that mustache. Do it. Frida. Shout out. Anyway. So get ready, guys. This is cool. Yeah. Enjoy. This is a heartwarming episode, so get your little cocoa. It's very interesting. Yeah, you guys enjoy this. This was fun to do, and I'm I hope you guys enjoy it. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I proudly present Mm. my dad, Jerry Schaefer. Writer, I know for a fact that that will not be the last time we hit the table today. Okay. We'll go with that. We'll For go with today. For the next little bit. Yeah. Bare All right, guys. For the next little bit. Steal your minds. Future. Prepare your souls. Oh, no. This is going to be fun. This is going to be a fucking trip. <laughs> yes. So. No one saw this one coming. Mm-mm. No. This is all Melanie. Thanks, babe. Okay. If you can get, I'm um, honestly saying thank you. No, I know, but I'm saying if you can get people to interview, so can I, and so can anybody here. So this is my contribution to the No Simple Road podcast. But I think I think Aaron's probably right. You, you asking 
It was a big deal. With him is especially yeah. a big deal. Aaron asking, he would have been, oh, I don't, I don't know. This is my dad, guys. This is this is the spawn that, or not the spawn. <laughs> the this spawn. is size. This is the nexus that spawned me. So here we go. Oh man, I just got nervous. Talk to my own fucking dad. This one I understand. Oh, he's gonna he's gonna give me so much shit. Oh, we're gonna find out some dirt about Aaron. Probably. Hey, hi, Aaron. Hey, Pop. What's up? No, how you doing? I'm good. Hang on a second. Let me fix all the things that need to be fixed. Give me a second. Are you there? I think so. That's yeah, <laughs> not working out. Hang on a sec. I think so. All right. How about now? Can I hear you okay? Well, I hear you. I don't know if you can hear me. That sounds great. That sounds actually really good. We hear good. you. It sounds great, Jerry. All right. Hi, Dad. Is that is that is that you, Jimmy? Yeah, this is Jimmy. How are you, Jimmy? <laughs> I am good. How are you today? Hey. Good, good. Hey, Dad. I'm here too. Okay, baby. Good. I'm here too. All right. So we got all good. we got all four of us. We got have your attention yeah. now. <laughs> okay. Well, I first want to say thanks for agreeing to do this, Dad. I said, I called you the other day and I said, Dad, I need a favor. And you said, anything you want. And you've always been like that. And I love you for it. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. You know, the older you get, honey, the better you get. Unless you're a banana. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that's true. So, Dad, before before we were called you to do this like I was just thinking like all the shit that you went through with me and my brothers like what a fucking crazy nightmare yes it was like I'm a dad now and I don't know how the hell I would deal with that how did you deal with that like you had three crazy sons that I can answer your question for you okay yeah, yeah the same boiling water that softens the potato also hardens an egg it's about what you're made of not the circumstances oh my god wow holy shit that was heavy wow yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> wow dad that's incredible and that's exactly that. What you said right there. We could stop the podcast right now <laughs> and let ev- let everybody else listen to that over and over. It's stuff yeah. like that that you've said throughout my years of being married to Aaron that has given me so much respect for you and so much love for you. Oh, I appreciate that. You know. Wow. You know, you're you're living in a in a town that I know a little bit about. I they have some of the craziest laws in the United States in Portland, Oregon. Like what? I'm well, in Portland, Oregon, a priest or a minister is not allowed to perform a wedding ceremony at a skating rink. 
Okay. I mean, I had I know things like that that other people don't know. And okay. that, I mean, what I just told you happens to be the truth. Wow. I guess Melanie and I won't let Sydney get married in a skating rink here. <laughs> Not if they want to get married by a pastor. Dad, like you said just now, you know things that other people don't know. Well, I know stuff about you that other people don't know that are listening to this. And why don't you tell them, like, how you got started? How did you get started in entertainment and all that? Well, uh, <clears throat> I got started in entertainment in, in the 1950s. Uh, I had come out of the service. And I didn't know my ass from a hole in the ground. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I met a fellow named Billy Murphy, who was an actor. And we became friends. And he talked me into writing a, a television pilot, which I didn't even know what a pilot was. I thought it was a guy that flew an airplane. <laughs> but, but then I found out what it was. And I had no idea that I would be able to even write such a thing. But so, I did it. So you had, never, you had never written anything before that? No, I had never written anything before that for movies or television. I had written uh, articles for periodicals, uh, but never on a, uh, on a consistent kind of a basis. I just did it. What did Billy Murphy... Fun. So what did Billy Murphy see or think that you had that could do it? I don't know. He thought that I had the ability to do it. He didn't even know me. But he, for some reason, he, he just knew I was the guy that could do it. And I did it. It was amazing. What was the pilot? It was called The Legend of Billy the Kid. Okay. It was the first full-color television western ever made for television what the fuck really i didn't know that yeah in the 1950s yeah Yeah, i made it in 1956 wow yep wow yeah before the bullfrogs wore britches (laughs) (laughs) so so what happened after that well wait well billy happened uh, billy introduced me to lots of movie stars and producers and famous people. Everyone knew Billy. Uh, Billy was a, Billy marched to the tune of a different drummer. I remember he was nuts when I knew him. He lived in a cave in Mount Shasta and carried around a porcelain clown doll that was cut, had its face covered and you weren't allowed to look in its eyes because it was the cosmic Christ clown. That's right. That's Billy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. I remember but, that guy. Uh, but at the same time, everybody at Hollywood liked him. I mean, look, the guy co-starred with John Wayne in The Sands of Iwo Jima. He did lots of movie work with lots of stars. Uh, so he was well-liked. And, he, and everybody knew him. He introduced me to Marlon Brando and to, to some of the most famous actors in Hollywood. I was embarrassed. I did. I mean, he used to tell people, this is the youngest producer in Hollywood. I'd never produced anything in my life. And he, I mean, he used to embarrass me beyond, you couldn't imagine. 
but he kept doing it and doing it. And finally, I finished writing the pilot. I didn't, I thought it stunk, but uh, I actually was able to get it financed. It was a miracle. Of course, the good Lord has been at my side all the time. Otherwise, I could have never done it. What do you mean by that, Dad? Because you're well, you're not a I religious mean, you're not a religious guy. You're Jewish, and we didn't barely ever went to temple and. What do you well, mean by I, that? the last time I was in a temple was 71 years ago. Wow. Okay. And I did that for my grandfather. Uh, I mean, I, you're right. I'm not religious. I don't like religion. I don't, I, I, I love God, but I'm not a religious person at all. And I, I, I think that, I remember growing well, up, like one of my favorite memories is like, when we lived in Malibu and, and you and I would drive down the hill that we lived on and we would go to the um, self-realization center. And I remember you were really into meditation and yeah. Zen. Yes. And really into that stuff. I was in Zen Buddhism for many years. You're right. I still love it. I think it's wonderful. Okay. But uh, I don't, I don't look at it like a religion, but I look at it as a way of life, as a way of being. Like people have asked me recently if I write something about this upcoming election. And I, I, I don't like religion. I mean, I don't like politics. Like I don't, I'm not in favor of, of, of religion. But to me, uh, you get all the fools on your side, you can be elected to anything. I mean, based on that, I worry about the next election because I know that the universe contains protons, neurons, electrons, and morons. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. That is true. Yeah. I, I, was, I was telling someone the other day, you know, the world keeps changing. Uh, one minute it's one way, and the next minute it's 360 degrees different. Like... Back in the 1800s, everyone in the West owned a horse. Only rich people could afford a car. Today, everyone owns a car, but only rich people can afford to keep horses. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, no, it's true. It's Everything changes. One minute it's one thing, and the next minute it's something else. So, well, like you said... I mean, one minute it changes and then the next minute it's something else. So one minute you get out of the service and the next minute you're the hottest young producer in Hollywood. Like, what, what did you do with well, that? Like when you realize that it's starting to happen for you, what, what did you do? I didn't realize it. I, when it was going on, I had no idea it really was going on. When I made the pilot, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a clue. I had friends at the studio. I had offices at Republic Studios. And Dick Powell, a, a fellow that was, he was a, he started out as a singer-dancer, then he became a movie star, and then he became the head of a thing called Four Star Productions at Republic Studios. And he kind of took me under his wing. So I had offices at Republic Studios, but I was a young guy. I didn't know my ass from a hole in the ground. And I hung around with stars. I was hanging, I was having lunch every day with 
Robert Taylor, who was starring in the detective series, and Nikki Adams, who was starring in in uh, some series I can't remember the name of. It. Oh, the, the the Rebel, and Steve McQueen, who was doing Wanted Dead or Alive. And Chuck Connors, who became a very close friend of mine, who was doing The Rifleman. I remember all Chuck. Those, yeah. All those shows were produced at Republic Studios. So I was I became friends with all those people. And I learned a lot about the business from them. And, you know, one thing leads to another. I, I've always been one that believes that people that lose their jobs usually you lose them because of their mouth because they talk too much. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, I, I, I think that, that, I don't know. I, I don't know that I should go into that in this, in this conversation. I, your audience might think I'm nuts. But, Dad, <laughs> you, you know who I am. I, so <laughs> think we're not. Yeah, it's fine. You can say whatever you want here. Or not. Okay, well, you you just ask me and I'll answer. How about that? Well, I just I mean, it's weird for me talking to you like this because I know all the inside shit, you know what I mean? I I was there for 40, I've been there for 46 years of it, but before that I wasn't like it I used to, when I was a little kid, I fuck, I thought you were a cowboy. Like, I didn't know what I the was, fuck you did. <laughs> I, I was a cowboy. Remember that. I was. That's what I did when I was a kid. I worked on ranches, and I shucked out stalls. I had the worst jobs that you could get on a ranch. I was a stable boy. But that's how I learned about horses. And then... And, once and you got in, a yeah. yeah. Once you got into the business, you started doing stunts. Like, what are some of the projects you did stunts on? Well, mostly westerns. I did a lot of horse stuff and, and saddle falls and things, things like that. Getting dragged behind a fucking horse. Yeah, yeah. But again, that was back in the 1950s and early 60s when stuntmen didn't even get billed in the movies. Not at all. But, I mean, I never thought about getting billed. I only was interested in making the money. So, Jerry, did you ever have, like, an agenda? Like, okay, so you start meeting all these movie stars and all of that stuff. And, like, was that was it? Was money just the agenda? Or did you want to be famous? Or did you want to have your name known? Like, what was the what was your thoughts back then? Well, it's the same as they are today. The only place I'm interested in seeing my name appear is after the words pay to the order of. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, it's the truth. You know, when I was at the studio, I I did a lot of, you know this, Aaron, I ghost wrote for lots of people. And uh, somebody, you know, they put other people's names on what I did. But I didn't care because I wanted to make the money. That's all I cared about. When I came to Las Vegas, I, I, I moved to Las Vegas. Well, I did The Legend of Billy the Kid. I shot in Las Vegas. I shot in the Valley of Fire and parts of it in Searchlight, Nevada. Mm-hmm. 
and, and I, I became fascinated with the Las Vegas Strip, which in those early days, there were only 12 hotels in Las Vegas. Now there's 58 hotels in Las Vegas. There was only 12? 12 hotels when I first came here. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was like, just like, almost like a ghost town. What year was that, Jerry? 1956. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, Dad, like, you go and you're shooting a pilot. Yeah. And then you find this place and you're enamored with it. And, like, norm, yeah. normal fucking people don't typically move there and become the most famous guy in the city. Like, well, I'll tell you how it happened. Yeah, okay? please, yeah. I, when I was driving back from the Valley of Fire, when we finished our shooting, uh, there was a hotel in those days that was very wonderful uh, called the Stardust. And they were, and they had a show called the Lido de Paris. I remember well, that. I had, I had never seen a live show in my life. I never saw anything like that. So I went in to see the show and it just blew me away. I thought, my God, it was unbelievable. Gorgeous, beautiful showgirls with feathers and rhinestones and foreign acts from all over the world and sets and water curtains and you name it in a big orchestra. I was just amazed by it. And I, I thought to myself, I can do that. <laughs> I didn't know how, but I just knew I could do it. But I never knew how I could do it or if I'd get a chance to do it. And then I left that hotel and I was hungry and I went to the Sands Hotel where they had a sign up that they had a Chinese restaurant and I love Chinese food. So I went there and there was a huge line to get in. And when I finally got up to the Mater D, he said to me, well, would you mind sharing the table with someone else? I said, no, I don't care. I didn't give a damn. So I sat down and they put a guy with me at, a, at the table and we introduced ourselves. You know, I, I'm Jerry. He said, I, I'm Renee. His name was Renee DeHaven. Mm -hmm. You remember him, Aaron? Yeah, Dad. He was with me my whole life. Okay. He said to me, uh, what do you do? And I said, uh, I'm a producer. I said, I, I just produced my first uh, a television pilot. And he said, oh, I'm a choreographer. I didn't even know what a choreographer was, Aaron. I, thought, I said, oh, that's nice. So, yeah, he said, I used to work with Gene Kelly and some of the great dancers in Hollywood. So I, then I knew he was a dancer. And he said to me, uh, will you let me read your cards? I didn't know what the hell he was talking. I said, what do you mean? And he took out a deck of cards out of his pocket, a little small deck of cards. I remember because, this, this yeah. from being a kid. He would do it every time he came to the house. Yeah. Well, this is amazing. And he, so he said, you know, I, I'd like to just, I tell your fortune by reading the cards. And I thought, you know, I thought, you know, he was a little light in the loafers, but <laughs> I didn't care. I wanted to go ahead and see what he was going to do. So he read these cards and he said to me, Jerry, he said, in a three, three days, three weeks, or three months, you're going to become the entertainment director 
of a Las Vegas hotel. And I thought the guy was nuts. <laughs> so I said, I'll tell you what, Renee, if I become the entertainment director of a hotel, I'm going to hire you to be my choreographer. And okay. three weeks later, I got hired to be the entertainment director. How? Hotel and how? Which one, Wait, Jerry? Yeah, which hotel? Yeah, which hotel and how? The Hacienda Hotel, it was called. Hacienda. I remember. And it was owned by a guy named Doc Bailey. Okay. And he was up at the Valley of Fire watching me shoot Billy the Kid. Oh, shit. But I, I didn't know who he was. It was just there was a lot of people watching. I didn't know who the hell he was. And then uh, he, and when I was in the, in, uh, in the, in the, uh, sands, they paged me. They used to page you, page you, Mr. Simon. And I pick up the phone. It was him. He said, when you get through, come to the Hacienda. I'd like to talk to you. I didn't know who the hell he was. Anyway, that's, that's how it happened. So, uh, I called Renee. I called Renee and hired him. And Aaron, you know, he worked for me for at least thirty years. I mean, he was he was basically part of our family. He was my uncle, basically. He was one of the most wonderful guys I ever knew. What a, talented beyond belief. What a tr- weird thing! Like I, I'm thinking back to all the little stuff, and I mean, no wonder I turned out the way I did, being raised by you. You know. I, Guys are at the house reading cards. There's Hell's Angels over. There's, yeah. you know, we're going and meditating in gardens and cops, cops, <laughs> and all kinds of crazy shit going on. Like it was never normal. Hey, this is dad, and he gets up at eight o'clock in the morning and goes to the office. He comes home at five and he has a martini. And it was never like that. You were always like hustling. Moving. Yeah, you know, you know, Aaron, somebody asked me the other day. Where did you take your last vacation? <laughs> I, I've never had a vacation in my life. No, the only never. times we traveled, you were working. Yeah, I can't do that. I can't have a vacation. I, I don't know. I mean, I, once I went to Hawaii to have a vacation, and I ended up writing a movie <laughs> and producing it. <laughs> so, Dad, laughing, but you were on location. I took you there. I, know. I made that movie. I remember yeah. I was there too. I remember that trip. That was a great trip. Yeah. You know, I think I didn't I take your friend Jimmy with you? That was Jimmy that just yeah, said that, that. Yeah, that was me saying I went along too. Yeah, we were I remember being uh, there for three uh, weeks in ni- yeah. 1987. Yeah, until Aaron told me that if I didn't send him home, he'd kill himself. <laughs> yeah. Little asshole. Yeah, I remember that. He was 16 yeah, you know, and he was being a bummer. You, you guys had such a shitty room overlooking the ocean in, in beautiful Hawaii in a suite that was beyond belief. I, it wasn't I, good enough. I loved it, Jerry, just so you know that. And I remember you might, you might, I don't know if you've heard this one too, but I was going to go play tennis with Marianne one day. And Aaron looked at me and he goes, if you go play tennis with her, I'm never going to be your friend again. <laughs> and I remember he was so crabby because of his girlfriend at yeah. the time uh, yeah. was Stephanie. And he didn't care about anything. Hawaii sucked. Everything sucked. Yeah. And yeah. He, I yeah. had a great time. Thank you again, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, just remember what I said at the beginning of this conversation. 
The older you get, the better you get. Unless you're a banana. That's true. Well, I'm glad I'm an apple. (laughs) (laughs) But dad, I mean, again, so you, it's, it's very strange to hear you say it like this because it sounds like, like when we talk to musicians, a lot of the time I'll ask them like, did you think, or did you always want to be a musician? Did you always want to be a star and all that stuff? And a lot of the time the answer is, I don't I don't think I could have done anything else. I never felt like I could do anything else. And like it was just meant to be. It really seems like that with you. Like it was just, that was what was happening. The people around you saw it and were making it happen. And then you did the work. So my dad's name is Jerry. So it goes... Really well with with the sponsor of the show this month, Ben and Jerry's. So cool. The holidays are right around the corner, guys. And you're going to get all those fish fans that have everything some ice cream because you listen to No Simple Road and Ben and Jerry's sponsoring us. Ben and Jerry collaborated with Fish and the Water Wheel Foundation to create a limited flavor. It's ice cream. A caramel malt ice cream with almond toffee pieces, fudge fish, and a caramel swirl. Caramel swirl, caramel swirl, whatever. You know what I'm saying. Don't try and act like you don't know what I mean because you know what I mean. Packaging and a very, with like all caps, very limited t-shirt were designed by Jim Pollock and a portion of the proceeds for the ice cream and all the proceeds for the teas are donated to the Water Wheel Foundation. Woo, Water Wheel. Water Wheel is kick-ass. The ice cream and the teas can be ordered at store.benjerry.com and if you use the promo code Osiris, O-S-I-R-I-S, Get free shipping on all orders over $50. For the rest of 2018, I said orders like that because for some reason I want to say odors. But it's not an odor that you're ordering. I'm sure the ice cream has a an amazing odor. Yeah, it smells like caramel malt. That'd be an aroma. Oh God, I'm so so I'm thinking if you had some whiskey and you poured a little oh, no. whiskey what on the caramel malt ice cream, just a little bit, just for the you? whiskey flavor. Oh, Anyway. Anyway. Wow, my head just exploded. Back to delicious ice cream. <laughs> Let me just point out, you do not need to be a fish fan to order this. No. no. You can be an any kind of fan. But You can be an ice cream ice fan. Cream. You can be an if ice cream fan. you are a fish fan, there's also a special curveball fish food water wheel tea that, that was created for canceled curveball. And you can purchase that Which at store.benjerry.com. Cool yep. Yeah. Store.benjerry.com. And use the promo code Osiris for orders for get free shipping for your order over $50. Yay. Yay. Yeah. Now back to Jerry Schaefer. <laughs> oh, the back ice cream. Oh, no. My dad. Yeah, but you know, Aaron, the bottom line is really, it, it's God Almighty. It's really the bottom line. No matter what you think, that's, that's who's been it. I, you know, I wrote a book, uh, called In the Shadow of a Rainbow, because that's what I felt like I've been in most of my life, especially when I was on top of the world. I mean, you know, at one time here in Las Vegas, I was Mr. Who's Who. I mean, today I'm Mr. Who's He. (laughs) What do you mean you were Mr. Who's Who? Well, Well, I was producing shows in five Las Vegas hotels at the same time. My name was on five marquees. I was unbelievable. No one's ever done that, but ever yet. And so I, I could have pretty much anything I wanted, but I never wanted anything. I mean, I, 
I was producing the biggest stars in the world. Like who? Like Judy Garland. And believe me, when you walk on the stage with Judy Garland, you better have your shit together, okay? I mean, that, that woman was at that time the most famous female star in the world. And there I was being able to produce and direct her in, in Las Vegas, I mean, in the entertainment capital of the world. And I mean, we became great friends. I know you know that. Yeah. In fact, Judy gave me a bracelet that I never take off, that I have on while I'm talking to you right now. I know the bracelet says your name on it. Yep. She gave that to me in 1963. I've never taken it off. Was that Except at, when I go to... Huh? Was that at the Thunderbird? Yes. That's where we did it. So you ended up had, working for huh? you ended up working for the boys at the Thunderbird then, yeah? Yes. Yeah. How, how did you find but, out that it was them you were working for? <laughs> well, I mean, you, I I didn't really realize it at the beginning. I, I uh, when they hired me to be the entertainment director, I I just assumed uh, they wanted me because I had done a good job at another hotel. And I, I, I wanted to leave. I left the hotel because I want to go back to Hollywood and make movies, television. And then uh, anyway, I when I went there, I uh, a couple of people came and visited with me and told me they'd like me to come back to Las Vegas and take a look around at their hotel. And I did. And uh, it was fascinating. My, uh, my cousin was a pit boss at the Sahara Hotel. And, and, uh, and my dad, you know, uh, made me feel comfortable. You know, he said, you know, you got a, two cousins there. One's the pit boss at the Sahara hotel. And the other one's a pit boss at the dunes hotel. So I thought I like, I had family here. Okay. Yeah. I never hung out with those guys. I knew them, but I was just a kid. I didn't know what they know. Anyway, I, I got my contract. And uh, I started doing the shows. And then uh, one day, one of the pit bosses came to me and said, uh, I went to the hotel and told them that I wanted to produce a show, a musical variety show in the afternoon. And they said, what are you, out of your mind? People don't go to the show in the afternoon. They go at night. And I said, well, I want to produce a show in the afternoon and I, I think it'll draw, it'll fill the theater. And I said, I, if you let me do it, I said, I'll put up the money and it, let, let it run for a week. If it fails, get it, get rid of it. It won't cost you anything. And the owner of the hotel laughed at me. He said, and what happens if it's a hit? And I said, well, then if it's a hit, I told him how much money I wanted a week. And he said, kid, you got a deal. So in wow. 1964, I produced the first afternoon show in the history of Las Vegas. It was called Speaking of Girls, and it ran for 140 weeks. Wow. It was the biggest hit the city ever saw. And then I could have anything I wanted. And that's when they called me into a meeting and I realized who, who owned the hotel. I didn't have anything to do with those people. I, 
I just did the entertainment. Right. But they were the owners of the hotel. And then uh, one day the the head owner came to Las Vegas and uh, he he met me. He met with me. And I was a little bit concerned because he had a reputation that was pretty frightening. But we just talked about show business and no problem. And then uh, years later, in 1968, I wanted to leave. I just, although I had produced all the stars and these musical variety shows, I and I was doing all the hotels for Del Webb. I wanted to go back to Hollywood. I wanted to, I I wanted to kind of try to internationalize myself. I didn't want to be a star or anything like that. But I just, I was bored. So I wrote a resignation to the hotel and uh, a very respectful resignation. And I made it six months up. In six months, I would leave on my birthday, which you know is the 4th of July. Right. And then uh, a few months later, I was called to an executive meeting at the Sahara Hotel. And the uh, chief of security for the Del Webb said, uh, you better watch yourself, whatever you say in this meeting. I said, what are you talking about? I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> then I went into the meeting and there was a huge uh, desk there, a uh, conference table and it was dark. They had the, like, it was just a red light on and it was like in the movies and I didn't know any of the people at the table. None of them. I knew none of them. Right. But uh, they were guys that, you know, they didn't have any necks. <laughs> anyway, there was a guy sitting way down at the head of the table, a gray-haired little guy. I didn't know who he was either. And I, there was no place for me to sit. I just stood there like a bump on a log. And this little guy picked up a paper and he said, uh, I see you put in your resignation, kid. He said, uh, have you been being paid? I said, yes, sir. He said, has somebody been disrespectful to you? I said, no. He said, I see. He got up and he walked all the way down this table. Now he was standing right in front of me. He was a little guy. I mean, maybe five foot two or three. And he said, if you try to leave us, I'm going to make you part of the highway from here to Los Angeles. <laughs> and he spit on me. And I just, I just did, stood there. I like, I, I was frozen. And then he went back and sat down and I just turned around and walked out. I didn't know who he was. Right. And then the chief of security saw me. He said, Jesus, what happened? I guess I was white. I don't know. I said, uh, that little guy in there told me he's going he's gonna to kill me if I try to leave. He said, you better not try to leave. I said, who is that little prick? And then he told me it was Meyer Lansky. Oh, and I was oh, like, Jesus Christ. I, 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 I just couldn't. So, of course, I, did, I stayed. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, of course you stayed. Thank wow. God. Yeah, yeah. Well, you bet. I yeah. wouldn't be here. So I, that's how I knew, really knew who I was working for. 
And then I never had any problems after that of any kind. And and finally, they I I I asked if I could leave a year later, and they said okay. And because they had sold the hotel, right? Del Webb sold the hotel to a mysterious company called Lance Incorporated. Guess who that was? <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I I uh, that's when I decided. I had decided before that that I I don't know why, Aaron. But I decided that I wanted to go to London, England, and do a show there. Mm-hmm. I, I had never been to England in my life, but I had money now. I I never had to pay for anything during all the time I worked in Las Vegas. I I lived in a suite in the hotel, and I signed for it, food and for my laundry or anything I wanted. I didn't have to pay for anything. Right. They wouldn't allow me to have a car. I wasn't allowed to have a car. If I wanted to go, like, go out on a date or something like that, they, I'd use the company car, but I wasn't allowed to have a car. So I had quite a bit of cash. And I went to Los Angeles, and I told my mom and dad I was going to go to England. And, you know, my dad said, well, good luck, whatever you're planning to do. He he knew that how I was, and I was going to give something a try. I didn't know what. And I went to Pan American and got on a Pan Am jet and flew to London. Had you met my mom yet? No. No. Okay. And then uh, uh, when I was on the way there, I started thinking, Jesus, I don't know a soul in England. I don't even know how to get started. And then I checked into the London Hilton. And... uh, the first day there, I was sitting on the balcony of my room, looking out over Hyde Park through the fog, and I didn't know what to do. I wanted to, I didn't know how to start. So then I thought, wait a minute, I got an idea. So I got the phone book, and I looked for theatrical agents, knowing that agents know everybody. They know the business. So I picked out a name, called the guy on the phone, I told him who I was. I was from Las Vegas, that I had formerly produced Sammy Davis and Milton Berle and Jack Benny. I told him all the stars I'd produced. And he invited me to come to his office. And I took a taxi and went to his office. And, and we had a great meeting. His name was Gordon Harbord. And it turned out he was a very high-level AAA agent. He represented a lot of big stars in England. And he took a fancy to me. And I told him the truth. I said, I don't know what I want to do, but I know I want to do a show on the West End. I, and I don't know what the West End even looks like. So he, t- he had a chauffeur. He took me in a... And we went down the West End, and he pointed out the different theaters, the Adelphi and the different theaters that were on the West End of London. And I was really excited. And then I thought, I'm going to have to write a show to put in one of these. these. So I went and I saw a few shows, how they did the Broadway shows there. And then I I went home. I went to Los Angeles. I had a house in Las oh, Vegas. I didn't tell you, I had a house in Las Vegas, but I wasn't allowed to live in it. 
but now okay. I was I wasn't contracted to them anymore, so I could I could live in my house. So I went to my house in Las Vegas. I was very lonely. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I just wanted to write, and I wrote a musical comedy. You know that I yeah. And uh, it was the first musical comedy I'd ever written, and and, and I wrote twenty two songs to go on the show. I got Shorty Rogers to do the music. And instead of doing it in London, the guys from the Del Webb came to me. They knew I was there. Said they want to see you at the hotel. We want want you to do that show here. And I said, there's never been a Broadway show that made a world premiere in Las Vegas. I don't think it'll work. They said, we don't care what you think. We want you to do it, and we'll put up the money. And I said, this is going to be very expensive. This is 1967, Aaron. Okay. And how much is it going to cost? That it's going to cost $2.5 million. It's a lot of money. I don't know what that would be today. Today, maybe $25 million. They said, go ahead, do it. Carte blanche, do it. So I did that musical, That Certain Girl. And I got Virginia Mayo, who was a very famous female singer, dancer, actress, who had starred with James Cagney in White Heat. I got Dennis O'Keefe, who was a fabulous star, who did the FBI story of the movie. I got Walter Slezak who won the Tony on Broadway for Fanny. I've had big stars in this show. And I, and I did it. And I just stare. And for me, it's been one thing after the other. The minute that show opened, all I could think of was what am I going to do next? I wonder what Instead that is. Of, I don't know. Instead of enjoying it, the house was filled to capacity. People loved it. It didn't mean anything to me. I just wonder what I would do next. That's awful, but that's so the way it's always. Been. Did you 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 didn't have anybody at this point, Jerry? You weren't married when no. you did that. Okay. No, that's when I met Gorilla. Okay. <laughs> Can you elaborate? Okay. On that one. And uh, Gorilla well, is my brother's mom. And she yeah. she was Nurse Goodbody on Hee Haw back in oh, the day. Oh, okay. I remember yeah, hearing this. Yeah, a very nice girl. She, I originally met her when I produced Jack Benny. She was in the Jack Benny show in a comedy routine with three women called the Guire Sisters. A takeoff on the Maguire Sisters. But a big fat lady and a skinny lady and Ganilla who was pretty. And they were called the Guire Sisters. Okay. And Jack Benny. Anyway, that's why I originally met her. Anyway, uh, that's the answer to that question. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just only because you said like you're looking for the next thing, and all you cared about was money. But I know you from just growing up with you, and you've never. Every time you have money, you would give it away. And so 
what is it that thing that makes you keep wanting to do stuff? Because I mean, yeah, I, maybe it is money. I love it. I love it. I love, love doing it. it, honey. I love it. Look how many books I've written lately. I, I, I don't know how many books I got out there now, but I just got another one called You've, The Customer. It's out there right now. Is that the one that you sent me the other day? I don't know. I think you sent. Yeah, I, th- I think you sent me a picture of it the other day. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, there was. An, I sent you a picture of another one I did called uh, the movie maker. I can't remember. Uh, uh, I can't remember. The well, name I I got the movie maker. I'm I'm oh, in the middle. Of- right. There was the movie maker. There was the customer. There was Old Timers Day. Yes, I have Old Timers the- Day. Yeah, you know, there was that book I wrote about Marianne, yeah. Angel in My I, Pocket. Mm-hmm, I, and I just finished writing another book now that I'm I'm going to submit to the publisher next week. So that's it. All I do is write. I'm, I'm very reclusive now. I can't do what I used to do. I'm just an old fart. And I sit home and write. And yeah. put out these books. Mm-hmm. You can't make any money with books, you know. People don't read anymore. Mm-mm. No, that's true. You know, Dad, yeah. you just you brought something up, and I, I want to ask you about it. Like, when you met my mom, you had already been married three times, and no, no, I wasn't married. I lived with Eric. There's a big difference. Okay, all right, yeah, yeah. You you okay. had had okay. So how many? Yeah, how many times were you married before you met my mom? Two. Okay. And, and one of the two, I was only married for five weeks. I mean, you can't really count. No, that, that doesn't count. That's yeah, that's that count. that's a that's we'll a trial one. run. But yeah. I know from from growing up, being your kid, like Marianne was the love of your life, without a doubt. What was different about her than the other women that you were with that made that so special for you? Uh, what was different about her was was one her incredible intelligence. She, uh, as you know, she she spoke, read, and write five languages. She was very smart and and gorgeous. She was a beautiful woman. She was really beautiful, and she was very talented. She had she just was a marvelous human being, and she loved you. Oh, my God, when you were a little boy, I kept her away from you. I shouldn't have. She she wanted to one time take you to get ice cream, and I I was afraid to let her take you in the car. I didn't want to trust anything with you. I was very protective of you. But anyway, she, she just, uh, she was, I don't know how I could put this, she was, for me, she was a friend. Oh. She was she was very inspirational for me. She really inspired me to do a lot of things. I did seventy three television specials when I was married to her, Aaron, and three major motion pictures. Yeah, how I know. many people have done that? I mean, it's unbelievable. Okay, and I would do them a lot of times just to make her give her something to do, and she was so smart. I would write a script. She would take it and read it one time and hand it to me. Say, okay. And she already knew every word. One time, she knew it all. Unbelievable. Damn. And I'm talking about something that's 
like 121 pages. She got an R, a one time, reading one time. She's a very bright girl and very ambitious and helped me. She was by my side all the time. It wouldn't let anybody take advantage of me. Mm. And she no. did things for me like she made us that scrapbook. I would never do that. I didn't give a shit about myself. But she made a scrapbook of that red book. She made that. I would never have had that without yeah, that, her. That book had every single thing that you've ever done in entertainment, every award that you've ever won, every accolade that you've ever got, every any news I, yeah, article, I, anything written about you. It was all I in that I don't know book. how she did it. She was, Erin, and I don't know how she did it. But she did it. She found that kind of stuff. It's like that. It's like the joke I told you about the library the other day. It, it, in, those, in, in those days, you know, the, the, in the very beginning, computers were just starting. So when you wanted to know something, you had to go to the library to get the information. Right. She found that information about me. I forgot. She found shows I did. I forgot I did them. That's so crazy. That's that's about her. Do you still have the book, Dad? Sorry? Do you still have the book? Yes. Wow. I, I thought I gave Aaron one, but no. I have one. I have one for you. Okay. If I if I ever see you again, I'll give it to you. <laughs> <If> I, I, <laughs> that's the, the Jewish dad right there. Well, yeah, dad, I had a, a reason that I wanted you to be on the show today. Um, because Dad, we're getting ready to be grandparents. And when I was growing up, both my grandparents died while I was pretty young. So I didn't I didn't get to have a relationship like Sydney and Simon have with you. And I know even we've talked and you said that you never got to spend time with your grandpa like Simon and Sid no. has has done. And no. so I think that our kids are are extremely unique to have you and my mom and, you know, Grammy, all of you, and Ping, for that matter. But I just wanted to hear from you what it's been like to be a grandpa because you've been such an amazing role model for me and Aaron in that department. Well, I mean, Simon meant me and still today, but he's, he's meant so much to me since, I mean, I was... I remember the day you brought him home from the hospital. I remember I held him. You were there. In front of your, I was there. That's right. You drove us and home. I mean, the, the kid was, as he was growing up, he used to he used to bring him to my house. He'd come and hug me and stay with me. And then all of a sudden he went through a period where he wouldn't talk to me. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Remember that? Yes, yes I remember. Just amazing. That was that was at the time, Aaron, I'll never forget when we went to that that restaurant. We were having breakfast, and he was in one of those baby high chairs. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, his face turned red, and you said, Simon, did you shit in your pants? He said, yeah. <laughs> and you said, well, I'm going to take you outside and clean you up. He said, well, let me sit here and enjoy it. <laughs> and, that's my boy I got hysterical I got hysterical I never laughed so hard anyway the kids always meant a lot to me you know he, I loved being with him and seeing him grow up and I tried to always give him things little things I gave him a lot of shit I mean just a lot of little things 
Yeah, you know, exactly. like it doesn't matter what it was, like, like a samurai sword yeah. or a cowboy hat or yeah. binoculars or whatever. I always gave him a lot of stuff, and then I don't know, maybe he threw it all away. I don't know. Actually, but, no, I I've got possession of them all now. <laughs> and, well, anyway, and, and Sydney, I, I mean, she's just been the biggest doll uh, I've ever known. I, I mean. When she was a little girl, I remember she used to take care of Simon. Yeah. When she was just a little girl. She's always been a doll. I love Sydney. She's fantastic. She just, I want everything to be good for her. I really do. Everybody, anybody connected with her better do the right thing or look out for me. That's all I got to say. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and the rest of us. You know, you've been a... Yeah, I know. You've been a huge inspiration to her dad like what she learned from you she really took it and used it and and what she knows of your life from what I've told her and what you've told her and what she's seen growing up she's really taken that and used it to make her own way yeah she's a terrific girl she really is I wish I could have if I would have been in Holly weird at the time I could have done more, but at least in the beginning, she went. She went to Bobby Chance, and yep. that was a beginning. It was you have to begin somewhere, and at least I got to make that introduction, and that worked. And then you know when I, I can't call the agents, all my agent friends are all in the same place now. It's called Forest Lawn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, how old are you? Eighty-five years old, right? No, I'm 84. Oh, sorry, I added a year. I mean, that's yeah. that's no no small feat. 84 years 84 old. 84 is no. It's very hard. It's, it's. I mean, I can only tell you, Aaron, that face in the mirror is much older than me. Oh wow, that's that's great. I know what you mean, but I don't know what you mean. I, I yeah. understand it only from looking at a 46-year-old face in the mirror and seeing that my head is way different than 46. Yeah. Well, you learned a lot from me when you were a little boy. I used to take you to my meetings and you'd sit and, you know, when I'd be doing deals to make a movie for $14 million and you'd sit there and listen. It didn't say anything. You'd listen and you absorbed and you were very good at that. So I think that helped you in your life. Dad, that's another thing. I was listening back to one of our earlier episodes uh, like a week ago or so, and I was listening to Aaron. And in that moment, like whatever he was talking about at the time, I had like this flash. Like he just sounded so much. (laughs) He just sounded so much like you. And it came to the realization to me at that moment that he created a show just like his dad and all the talents that he watched over those years, like you said, he absorbed them and is finally doing something with them. Not finally, that's not true, but like in this way. And it's just really cool to see that what you've done has inspired a lot of who and what Aaron is doing now. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying that, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? 
<laughs> it doesn't. True. I was just, this, and this yeah. is Jimmy. I was just going to say too. It, what you've passed on definitely to Aaron that I've seen Jerry. He has such a way of writing and a way of conducting these interviews and stuff that is. We we always mess around. We always call it the Aaron Show because he's the one. He's the conductor producer of all this. We hang out, and it's just amazing to see what he's done, and also to to see what you've done. And I've been along on a lot of those rides, and it's been wonderful. You, you guys mean a lot to me, and I thank you for bringing this boy into the world. <laughs> well, are you kidding? Your family, and and someday I think it's going to dawn on him that you have an exceptionally different voice. And it should be used in whatever he can use it in. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. It's Thanks, awesome Dad. Here. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, when Mel said that to me the other day, she, she told me what she just told you about, you know, look, look what you're doing. You're doing what your dad would do. You're, you made a show and, and, you know, you write and you're using all the stuff that you learned growing up with him and, and all that. And it's, it's more than that though, dad, it, it, it's a lot of things like the way that we live up here, how we all live together in the same house and the way I feel about money and all of that is from you. When, when I grew up, it was rarely just us in the house. There was always people around. There was you know, your friend Dick Shane and his brother Choya and some homeless guy that you met that had a dog that we took in that you took with us to Colorado when we lived in Colorado. And, you know, people always in our lives and, and you always treated them like family. Well, I'm glad to know that I'm good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that I did that. And I remember that guy. I remember that's where we got Banner. Yeah, his name was Khan. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. That, I mean, that's. I, I let him use my motorcycle while we were gone and he wrecked it. <laughs> <laughs> Little bastard. I remember that. Yeah, that's not normal, man. That's not normal, Dad. That's. It, it was always uncommon. My My life has always been not normal ever since being a kid. I would say the proper adjective would be extraordinary. Yeah. I think yeah. that you've really lived an extraordinary life on how you raised all those boys, <laughs> how you've done so many shows, how you've been able to love, you know, so many women and in a good way, like you brought these amazing men to this world. And I don't know. I just, I really love you, and I'm so grateful that even in my the absence of my dad, you stepped up and became my dad, and it's just really cool. You're an amazing. You better, you better know I'm your dad. I Aww. know it. <laughs> you better know I it. I know it. <laughs> yeah, dad. It, it's. It, I don't know. You've. You're how, an, how long? How what? long, Aaron? Do these shows of yours run? We're good as, as long as, as, long as we want. And it plays all the time that we've been talking? Well, nobody's hearing it right now. Um, it's being recorded right now, and then I edit it and post it on the internet, and then people can listen to it. Anytime. Anytime. It's like, you know how you have on demand on your TV? 
Yeah. It's like that. Do you know, for, how, for do you know how many people listen to your thing? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I'll tell you off the air. I'll tell you when we're not recording it. All right. I, what do you want to, Dad? Do yeah, I well, want to talk about stuff? Like, I'm interested about one story yeah. we brushed over. I thought we were going to get there because I've never heard this from Aaron or you or anything. You're talking about how you met Aaron's mother because yeah. it's another thing. When I became friends right. with Aaron when he was like 13, I remember him saying, "I would to to me, you were kind of a cowboy too. You were the fastest draw in the world and the Guinness Book of World Records. A lot of other interesting facts." And then he he hid from me for almost a year because I never had met his mom and stuff that they were like, you know, circus folk. And, and it's just I'm just wondering how that came about, how you met. Well, her. Thought, all right. Well, <clears throat> a hotel opened in Las Vegas called the Circus Circus. And the owner of that hotel, a fellow named Jay Sarno, came to me and asked me if I would produce a show for the main showroom in that hotel. It was called the Hippodrome Theater. So when he opened the Circus Circus, there was this big, huge, thousand-seat theater. And he came to me to produce the show for it, which I did. And while I was there doing rehearsals and everything, the circus acts were performing out in the arena, out in the casino. And the Flying Cabarettas were one of the acts. What year was this, Jerry? It was in the 1970s, I think. Well, I was born in 71, so it had to be 69 or 70. Well, maybe it was 69. I mean, uh, 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 boy, that's a hard thing to remember. Okay, anyway. Yeah, but I I don't like to not remember. (laughs) <laughs> I, can't rem- I can't remember the exact data uh, I, 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 that's fine I can't remember but anyway Sarno came to me I produced the show and, uh, and and that's when I met Candy Cabaretta I met the Cabaretta family Vince and all her sisters and uh, we became friends. We dated a little bit. And uh, then I went to England. And when I was in England, she called me and said, I want to come and join you. I said, what? <laughs> she said, I want to come and join you in London. And I, I thought I couldn't. I said, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> but she came to London and. Then we were together. Wow. Well, I'm glad she called. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad she Jimmy, called. Jimmy, that's how I met her, Jimmy. Okay. That's a, I was just wondering. That's a story I hadn't heard. Uh, well, it's, it's a, it's, that's the way it happens. It, they were performing at the Circus Circus, that flying act. Yeah. It was a great act, a wonderful act. Yeah, they were and, pretty uh, amazing. Yeah. Well, Jay Sarno and Stanley Mallon, they came after me to do that, to do the show. Well, and I did it. I how mean, was the show? yeah, how'd that turn out? That was, oh, that was 1968. I remember it was 1968. There it is. That's what I remember. Perfect. So, Dad. And, uh, <coughs> and I, uh, 
I did the show, and after it opened, Jay came to me and said, I'm going to close the showroom. I said, what the hell are you talking about? We've only been open a week. He said, yeah, but I can make more money putting slot machines in there. Yeah. He paid me off. And that was that. I I went to England. I went back to London and put the show on in England. Fuck it. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, you know, again, in those days, uh, their money was no object. And I could, I would get money from people I didn't even ask for. They would come and give it to me to get a piece of whatever I was doing. Wow, I want that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you have to have, you have to have a history of success. Yeah, true. You know, that's why they did it, because they saw the shit that I did that worked out. So then that worked out for them. Yeah. What are you working on now, Dad? Well, I just finished another book, and I'm writing a screenplay now for a company in Chicago. A true story. About what? This one's exciting. I'm excited to hear about this one. It's an incredible, incredible story. It's, It's about a... It's about a guy that, about a, he's a, uh, he was born in, in, uh, in, in, uh, the hell's the name of that guy? Africa. <laughs> Africa. Well, it, well, yeah, and it was a country in Africa. It was in, uh, in, uh, I'm so tired from it. I, I can't even think straight. He was born in, uh. Jesus Christ, I can't remember where the hell it's he was born. Right. Zimbabwe, Uganda. No, no. Namibia. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Shit Africa. Shit Africa, okay. Anyway. He was, he was anyway, uh, I started writing the screenplay seven weeks ago. And, uh, it's I, I call it out of the dust. It's it's uh, it's the most one of the most amazing stories I've ever know, heard of in my life, <clears throat> and uh, this this guy was born in Northeast Africa, and and uh, uh, he, he he from abject poverty. He came from a little village where they had, like, no schools. It, uh, it was just horrible. And when they when you grew up there, you you raised goats. That's what you did. You took care of the goats. And uh, he was different. He didn't want to do that. So his name is Daniel Lefebo. And anyway, the place he's from is called Ethiopia. <laughs> okay. Okay. And uh, when he in, in that in that culture, children do not ask questions. They're not allowed to ask questions. I'd have been fun. And he was very, and he was very inquisitive. He wanted to know. He was ex- excited by how the trees were growing, and nature excited him. And they his parents used to beat the shit out of him when he kept asking questions. And he wanted to go to school. 
and the school was a six-hour walk from where he lived, and it cost money to go to the school, and he didn't have any money. So he ran away from home, and he climbed up on top of a, the highest tree in the village, and his parents and his brothers and sisters started looking for him, and then people in the village, and they looked all day. They couldn't find him. Finally, that evening, they spotted him way up high, 30 or 40 feet in the air in this tree. And he told them, if you won't let me go to school, I'm going to just jump out of the tree and kill myself. So his oldest brother said, all right, if you come down, I'll give you the money to go to school. So he came down, and his oldest brother took him. They had to walk six hours to get to the school. The oldest brother paid the deposit. When the kid was in the first grade, he learned to speak English and read English. He's very smart. And he went through school. He went through grammar school. While he was in grammar school, the Communist Party came in, the DERG, it was called. And they they killed 100,000 people. They just murdered men, women, and children. And they took him and all the kids in his school, he was 15 years old, and put him in jail. Then they put him in in a trial, and they sentenced him to be burned at the stake. Jesus. And they took him to this place where they tie people to the stake to burn them alive. And just before they tied him up, a lieutenant in the dirt said, I've got a better idea. We can get more mileage if we take him to the public square and hang him. So they took him away from the from the where they were going to burn him, and they took him to the public square where they were going to hang him. But the, for some reason, the captain said, "No, no, let's really get some mileage out of this. Let's tie him to some kind of heavy stuff and drown him in the lake and let everybody watch." So now they took him to drown him. Well, can you imagine what was going through this kid's mind? Jesus They're Christ. They're going to first burning, then <clears throat> hanging out of the drowning. And before they were going to drown him, they locked him in a cell. And he got down on his hands and he didn't never heard of God, incidentally. You should know that. He didn't know what God was. And he got down on his hands and knees. He didn't know why. And one of the guards handed him a book. And it was the Satanic Bible. And he read that, and he just thought it was the greatest thing in the world. He then hated God, and all he could think about was being in league with the devil. And when they found that out, they decided they weren't going to kill him. They liked that. They liked him to be that way. Okay? And then... As time went by, now he's 16 years old, still in custody. They let him go outside the cell where there were a bunch of trees. And he put on his, got on his knees again in the trees. And suddenly he had a vision. And Jesus Christ and God Almighty and Archangel came to him. He actually saw them. And the, the devil was there. And the devil told God, you can't have him because he's with me. And God said to the devil, no, he isn't. He's with me. 
and the devil left. And then all of a sudden Daniel knew that the reason he hasn't been killed all this time was because God saved him. Well, I can only tell you that today Daniel is a preacher from the from from the uh, Seventh Day Adventist Church. He's been all over the world preaching, like Elmer Gantry. He's unbelievable. So I'm calling this movie "Out of the Dust to the Throne of God." Holy and shit! And that's what I'm writing now. That's what I'm writing now. Wow, that's a hell of a story, man. Yeah. That's a yeah, trip. Yeah, I, I just gave, I just gave you a quickie, but it's some story. Let me tell you, it's some story. How how did you end up with that? job doing that uh the production company in chicago i had done a show for them in 2000 and the producer called me and asked me said we've got a true story here i've been supporting this guy daniel lefebvre and uh if i send it to you you look at it and he sent it to me and i looked at it and he called me and he said jerry you're the you're the guy that's got to write this I, I don't know how. I just want to know, will you do it? So we made a deal, and I started to do it. Right on. I've seen you get a call like that and write an entire Las Vegas show in an afternoon. Yeah. Or a script for an entire feature-length movie in two days. Yeah. This is going to take time because I Daniel wrote copious notes for me about everything that happened to him. And he doesn't speak perfect English, so it's very difficult for me to transcribe what he's writing. I talk to him on the phone every once in a while. He lives in St. Louis, Missouri. And, and the producers are in Chicago. So, I mean, it's, it's been an interesting project. And I'm only in my seventh week. And it's, it's very difficult to write. Like I said, in fact, I, I've only got 35 pages done, Aaron. It's that hard. Wow. Yeah, it must be hard if you've only got 35 done. Yeah. But it's uh it's going to be some movie, let me tell you. I'm excited. I can't wait to read it. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll send it to see my daughter. Send it to my when secretary. I, when, <laughs> yeah, when, my, when my screenplay is done. Yeah. All yeah. right, pop. Well, I love you, dad. And I love you guys all of you. Thank and you I so much for coming on the show, Dad. Yeah, well, I hope it, was, hope it was good enough for you guys. Good okay. enough. It was You're, great. Yeah. I love, I love personally hearing these stories, and I know there's so many more that you have growing up in that time. Vegas is a special place to grow up, and you lived through the time of you know all the. I mean, the, the, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. It's you know, it's not what it was now, but. Those times, well, you know, Jimmy, you're right, Jimmy. It's, it's in my day, it was the entertainment capital. Today, it's the nightclub capital. Yeah, and, yeah, and all the and history. He, That's the sad part. All those places, like the Dunes and area, the Rat Pack. All the history is gone. You know, none no, of it was they're preserved. All, they're, they're what they call what I call ghosts of the desert. Hey, Dad, do you know that they um, that, redid the Thunderbird? In Vegas, you know, like, some little hotel somewhere. Yeah, it's a piece of shit, shit down the street. <laughs> it's nothing, nothing like the Thunderbird. 
not the Thunderbird I was at. Yeah. Is it the Thunderbird? Where, uh, that's where Elvis played a lot, too, wasn't it? No, he played the International Hilton. The International, okay. It was right behind it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You have you have possession of stuff that nobody has, has about Las Vegas. I do. I have, I shot a video of almost every hotel on the Las Vegas Strip. I have it. It's real history. When I'm dead, hopefully Aaron will come in and get it. And it could be worth a fortune of money as time goes by. And uh, I hope that you know he'll come and take this stuff and do something with it. All the stuff I've written, I've written so much. I'd rather have you nobody. around. Well, it can't be too much longer, Aww. but we'll see. <laughs> you never know, Dad. You never know. No, no, you never know. You, you, you were, you know, just hanging out. You became one of the most famous producers in the history of Las Vegas. So you never know what can happen. Now you're going to be a great grandpa. Yeah, great grandpa. Yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing that little Sydney's baby. Oh. I'm going to be a grandpa, Dad. Isn't that unbelievable? It's it is a trip. Fucking insane. But I told you about your brother Mark, didn't I? No. He you had. Told, you told me. You told Mel. Yeah. He had his knee replaced. The whole knee replaced. And two days later, he walked up a flight of stairs. That's my brother. Boy, is he a tough son of a bitch! Mm-hmm. He really is a good guy. <laughs> he really. Well, He's Dad. got, you know, two daughters, and both of his daughters have children. And then uh, there, there are both school teachers, both musicians. You know, one of them was in the Marine Corps. She was in the president's own band, which is the biggest band you could be in in the military. Wow. And they're unbelievable musicians. Those are your cousins. Yep. So, so and- they're, you know, they're... They're very talented people. And your great-grandkids. Yeah, and I, I met a couple of them. They, <laughs> one of my granddaughter came here and brought two of those boys here. And, uh, and, I, and I got to meet them. They're very smart. One of them is six years old, and he can tell you the name of every president of the United States and the order in which they were president. And what year they were yeah, inaugurated. He's got me beat. Yep. Yeah, Six I, years old. He knows all one. this. Very smart. <laughs> wow. Very smart. Yeah. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Pop. I'll talk to you soon, okay? All right, you guys. Have a good time there. Love you. Love you, Dad. Love you, Jerry. Where you can't, where you can't even pump your own goddamn gas. <laughs> <laughs> We're pampered. And yeah. just remember, you can't get married in the skating rink either. I'll remember. <laughs> Not by a priest. In case it ever comes up. Bye-bye. I'll talk. I'll talk to you soon, Pop. Bye. 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 Okay. That was <laughs> that was a trip. We're still recording. That was. That- Right. That was that was that was awesome. I and think your dad has so many stories. Those were just a couple more. Oh my gosh. Some you hadn't heard. Yeah, we didn't even get We didn't into even any scratch the surface. Any of the stuff with like me and my brothers robbing him and well, uh, like all the crazy shit that went on and you know, you know, no, we, that, you know, we got to actually meet dad though. We 
got to hear a lot of his history, and that's really <sighs> awesome. I'd never heard the story about how him and uh, my mom, your yeah, my grandma got together. So that's I thought we were heading there. That's why I had to back up at least mm-hmm. to that one. I wanted to ask yeah. him several other. Well, we have you to thank for that one, babe. Thanks, Mel. I wanted to do that because for a lot of reasons, but we've been kind of like on that kick of like recording for ourselves for later. And I thought, what a great family thing it would be to have this. And also Aaron's dad's rad and amazing. Aaron's dad, my dad, our dad, he's amazing. He's done so much stuff. But like you guys heard what he said in the first, his first sentence out the gate was like just profound. And he's been oh, like that. Boiling water. Yeah. That's, yeah. We all just went. For, for real. So I don't know. I just, I wanted that. I wanted to have that for us, for as our family. And I think that everybody listening would appreciate that. Thinking yeah. about your grandpa, talking about how he grew up, you know, and his talents. And and he's got so many interesting things that he's done in his life. Yeah. And what Aaron pointed out, too, that's something that I, I've always gotten from Jerry is he treats everybody with kindness. And me, he put up a lot yep. with a lot with me and Aaron and thing, And he was always like a very gracious friend and father to me. Always, always made super me generous. Always, always giving shit away. And, you know, he's always jovial and yeah. fun and has a good joke and, mm-hmm. you know, lives Even life. when he's, like, not feeling good, he's still a sweetheart. <clears throat> I've, like, legitimately seen him pissed off oh, yeah. maybe five times in my whole life. Probably three of them were with me. And he's a fucking scary dude when he's pissed, man. He's... Super scary. But like you said, 99.9% of the time, he was just happy. And I don't know. I Just as I'm getting older, I'm realizing what uh, effect he had on me and who I am and how I grew up and how special it was and what a rad opportunity to be his kid. And to see all that happening and like it was just normal, like all that shit you hear him saying like, oh, yeah, Judy Garland and, and you know, Jack Benny and, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. and a blah, blah. Like it was just normal everyday shit. Like I said, like those people at the house and Hell's Angels hanging out and musicians coming over and parties and Hollywood stuff. And it, he was never like. I don't know. We were never like in that world, but it would, it always came around us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it just, like I said, it was never common. It was never normal. Even going to school wasn't normal. Like I never went to the same school twice until I got into junior high school. Cause we were always moving. Cause he had a, a show somewhere and we were living in a hotel or, you know, on the road somewhere. So I guess it makes sense that we're doing this now. It seems logical when you put all the pieces together, looking back. Makes sense. What is a city without its music? 
The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts. That's, and again, I just got to say, it's, for that, it's no simple road. That's, that's <laughs> why I wanted Dad on that for that. Around. You know, like, I just, while we're doing it, I don't want to miss it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's, it's everybody always says, gosh, you know, life went by like that. And the, he, he said it himself, looking at that face, it's, it's a lot older than who he is. Like, yeah. I see our life doing all these amazing flips and turns and little secret passageways and coming out into these rainbows on top of hilltops and top of, you know, dragons and all these amazing things. And I don't want to miss it. And I, I see you in a different light and I see like what's been going on and him being on the show is a huge part of that. Like it's a full circle. Yep. So we're going to go have dinner and hang out. Have a nice Sunday evening. Yeah. And I hope you guys do the same out there. And I hope this warmed your heart because it warmed my heart. Yeah, you're, you're learning the, the genesis backstory of the No Simple Road family. And if there's a pantheon here, that's like Zeus that you just met. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's... Raw, Odin, Odin, yeah, more Odin. I Odin, yeah, definitely mm-hmm. more Odin than Raw. But yeah, guys, take care of each other out there. Give a stranger a smile. Hug your grandpa and your grandma. Call your grandma and grandpa yeah. if they're around, your man. Mom, your dad. They haven't heard from you in a long time. They're wondering what's up with you. They think about you all the time. Yeah, Don't. Your dad and mom always need a phone call too. Yep. That's sad. No, I gotta go call my mom tonight. Now. See. Everybody be well, take care of each other, and we'll be back next week with more, and we love you.
Osiris. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about the April-May 2023 issue of Relics Magazine. It features a Dave Matthews Band cover story with additional articles and interviews with The National, Graham Nash, Wayne Shorter, ALO, Ivan Neville, our friend Eric Krasno and Stanton Moore, Marty Stewart, and much more. Check out the latest version of Relics and subscribe now at relics.com slash DMB. Thanks, Relics. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.